Hi, this is High Notes with Dr. B, and I'm your host, Dr. Denise Ritter Bernardini. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope that you will find this and every other podcast inspirational and informative. And if you're like me and you're a curious person and you like to learn something new every day, then you and I will get along quite well. I am an avid reader and love to learn, and it is my hope to bring something new for you to think about or to learn about every podcast. Thank you again for spending your time with me. Hey, everyone. This is a really fun podcast, and the reason I say that is because you're going to get to enjoy an actual meditation. So if you usually listen to this, like driving down the road or, um, you know, doing something else, you might want to stop everything you're doing, find a great place to sit down and listen to this and do this meditation at the end. This is one of my favorite kinds of meditations. It's uh, guided and it takes you through a place of nature. And Jane, I want to tell you a little bit about her. Her name is Jane Hill, and she runs a Facebook group called The Meditation Garden, The Secret Meditation Garden, sorry, where she leads regular meditations and posts interesting related news, and she's trying to build a community of like-minded people who like meditation. She's also recently written a book called The Six Enchantments. It came out in October, and it's a series of short stories designed to help the reader find moments of peace and calm in their everyday life. Now, who doesn't need that? I think everybody, especially right now, needs some peace and calm in their everyday life. She also really likes to help people connect with their true self. And um, she does that because she suffered from very severe anxiety and panic attacks when she was working as a lawyer in um, Scotland. She's happy to tell you that she is no longer a lawyer, but instead does this beautiful work. So I hope you enjoy this podcast, and like I said, find a comfortable place to sit, and hopefully this time of year you can find a little place in the sun, maybe outdoors, close your eyes, and project yourself to this beautiful area of Scotland where she will take you through in this meditation. Hello, Jane Hill. It's so wonderful to meet you. Hello, Denise. Thank you. It's very nice to be here. Thanks for inviting me on. Yes, I'm so excited about your story and excited about the prospect of maybe having a short little meditation with you today. I um, have been, I have practiced meditation on and off for a lot of my life. I I practiced meditation when I was in graduate school, or I tried to, but every time I would do it, I would fall asleep. And I don't know if it was because I was so exhausted from being in graduate school all the time and staying up to three in the morning writing papers, or if, or if I just didn't really know what to do, but I got really frustrated with that and stopped for a while and then came back to it about two and a half years ago. And um, now, you know, uh, there's so much information out there and so many guided meditations and things that I have been able to figure out, at least for me, that um, when I sit and do meditation in absolute quiet, I struggle I personally, because of the way my mind is, I personally struggle with that. And I do better with something that I have that's a 
either a system or that is guided. And uh, I don't think one meditation works for all. And, and, and I'd love to know your opinion on that. What do you think about that? Yeah, I think um, I, what you're saying, I hear from a lot of people. And I think I would agree with most of what you've said, actually, that um, people, I think, who are starting meditation tend to have the idea that you can sit for you know an hour in complete silence and you must concentrate on your breathing, empty your mind of thoughts, um, and that's what it is. Uh, now, there are certainly types of meditation that do... Um, that, that is the basis of some types of meditation, there's no doubt. But it's a bit like asking someone who's never run a marathon to sort of run a marathon the very next day. Um, and as you say, you also need to find a form of meditation um, that suits you. And for some people that may be sitting in silence, emptying their minds, but that doesn't come naturally to us. It is a discipline. Um, I obviously have been practicing my own brand of meditation for getting on for 30 years now. Um, and it's very much about visualization. Uh, and I take myself into my own sacred landscape and I write about it as I do this. Um, and when I'm working with people, because I do work, I have a a group on Facebook, The Secret Meditation Garden, but I also work one-to-one -one with people. Um, and I use these guided visualizations to help people get into the kind of meditation, uh, just the, the, the habit of sitting. And by using imagery and visualization, um, to actually get into that space, that moment, that kind of timeless moment when we're in the here and now. And although I use imagery, I think it's really into that. It's not, that is not the meditation. The, that actually simply enables our brain to kind of focus in a particular way which means we then get into a deeper state of consciousness and a deeper meditative state. That sounded all very abstract, but um, I think it might become clearer as we talk a bit more about it. Yes, right. No, I, I, I appreciate that. And I'm, I'm happy to hear. I, I would really love for you to tell your story because I think your story is is uh, compelling because it's so many people's story that they, you know, they go to school, they get out of school, they they think that they're going to get this career that they're going to really love, and and they throw themselves into the entire uh, world of that career, and so many things get sacrificed in that model. And would love to hear your story. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, yes, I mean that is my story in fact that um you know i'm 62 now so this is going back a bit i am obviously a scot so i grew up near edinburgh my father was a lawyer and i thought in the 1970s that i would become a lawyer like him 
and certainly in the mid-1970s in Scotland, that was relatively unusual. Right. But I went to the school that encouraged, I went to an all-girls school that encouraged us to go to university. So I went and did a law degree at Edinburgh University, and which I re really enjoyed. I mean, it was great fun. I made great friends, some of whom I'm still friends with, many of whom went on and still are rather eminent in their legal careers in Scotland. Um, but on emerging from university, on graduating, I went to a law firm and I lasted a year there before I thought, this is just not for me, I'm bored stiff. Um, I retrained as an archivist and went to work ultimately in the National Archives of Scotland. Wow. Where I, and now this was the place to be for that career in Scotland because it is, you know, you, it's the biggest archival institution in Scotland. You're working actually as a government archivist, but it is, it is sort of, in some ways, the, the pinnacle of that, um, of that career. Um, and it just, I was so pleased to get there in my, having worked in other archive jobs for other institutions, I was so pleased to get there. Um, there's a lot of, you know, it's set up to be, it's very well run, it's big, it's, you know, the biggest employer of archivists in Scotland, basically. Um, there's a career progression, it's relatively well paid. Um, and within two or three years of starting work there, I started to have panic attacks and terrible anxiety. Now, I've got to be honest and say anxiety has been a sort of constant companion throughout my life, but it went away in my late, as a student in my 20s, it went away. And it just came roaring back really in my early 30s when I got this job. Now I've got to say that the world, you know, the archival world is not a dog-eat-dog -dog world compared to some aspects of the legal world, but um, I think it was just too corporate for me and I think I was just a square peg in a round hole. I just couldn't get on with it. And I really struggled, I think, with it. I constantly felt anxious that I wasn't doing well enough, that I wasn't good enough at what I was doing. I did, I just, my colleagues were perfectly nice people, but it wasn't a good fit for me. Um, I really think I was trying to fit into something that just wasn't right for me. So with this anxiety, um, the panic attacks, I took myself off to a really excellent psychotherapist, a Jungian therapist, and spent six months talking about how miserable I was in this job, and then 11 and a half years talking in a, in a way as a kind of, you know, it became much more about spiritual coaching. And I realized that I really didn't have to work at this job that was destroying me. So eventually I just left, I retired, I took voluntary redundancy and I left. Um, my work with my therapist friend helped me to see that my meditation practice was worthwhile for me 
and if it was worthwhile for me and helping me and it was certainly healing me, then it was worthwhile for other people. Um, so I had been working on that for about 10 years before I left work and I've spent the last 10 years or so since then working as a kind of meditation and spiritual coach ever since. And I know that this is the right thing for me to do. Um, I've got to say that if you break with uh, employment, um, it can be very, it can be challenging, it can be difficult. So you've got to be sure that this is the right thing that you're doing. But frankly, I, if I had stayed in that job, I, I think, you know, I don't think I would be, I don't know what I would be like now, but I wouldn't be very well, to put it mildly. Um, so briefly, <laughs> um, that is the story of how I got into employment and got out of it again after 30 years doing one thing and another and how I know I'm doing what I'm doing. Great, fantastic. And for our listeners, for people who don't really know what Jungian therapy is, uh, yeah, Jungian therapy is, is based on Carl Jung's uh, um, theories and practices. And um, he he does kind of a talk or his 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 practitioners do like a talk therapy and they work to to yeah. integrate consciousness and un, unconscious things. So they they do. I think they don't they kind of go back in time and, and look at your past and try to help you work through moments from the past and, and help you with the uh, trauma. Is am I right about that? Because. I, well, I don't. I remember all doing that, correct, but much I think much. that's true. Yes, I mean, I think what I find most—I certainly didn't do an awful lot of work for myself with trauma or the past, particularly. But what I found really riveting about it was his interest in the mythic and in archetypes. Yes, yes, that's right. Um, I remember that now. Mm -hmm. And um, I think this is really. Obviously, for me in particular, it awoke this deep interest, which had always been there since childhood. And I think my meditations draw on some of these mythical and archetypal uh, imagery, not particularly in terms of people or figures. You know, it's more about, as I say, a sacred landscape and a mythical landscape that my visualizations are set in. But certainly my conversations with my therapist friend over 12 years really helped me to trust and see the value in um, these meditations and meditative work that I was doing. And it was a very, it's a very healing process to do that, to really connect with your, um, this your own personal set of mythic imagery i think that's the only way i can put it and in doing that you're connecting with your true self in some way um and i haven't thought about that for quite a while what the, the nature of that therapeutic process was but i can see that i still it still uh, informs the work that i'm doing i'm not a union therapist but um 
my work with my therapist friend helped me to trust and value that imagery that I draw on for myself and which benefits me and other people. Right. Yes, I, I see. I see that. Now, you said 12 years. Were you in that therapy while you were still working for 12 years or did you quit and then go to therapy? How did that work? No, I, I was seeing my therapist friend for 12 years while I was still working. I got gotcha. that point. And it was the work with him that I think and gave me the courage and made me see that I didn't have much choice but to leave employment, really, mm -hmm. at some point. And then, and then, but the culminate, what I, from what I understand about some of the things I've read about you, the, but the culminating event was a dream. Um, yes, the dream, that dream, if it's the one I think you're talking about, actually start, actually came to me very early in the therapeutic process. Um, I don't really reveal the contents of the dream simply because I think the imagery is not particularly relevant to anybody except myself. But what I will say is that um, six months in, for the six, first six months I worked with my therapist friend, it was all about, you know, poor me, I'm a victim, work is terrible, what can I do? I'm very upset, um, which is all valid. <laughs> I mean, that's perfectly valid. That's what happens when you go to your therapist, you collapse in a heap somewhere and you have to say all this stuff. Um, and then this dream happened. Um, and um, it was a dream unlike any other that I've had before or since. And it seemed very true and very authentic and very real. And after that dream arrived, I started talking in a different way or reflecting in a different way with my therapist as to what my life was about. So it was a turning point. It came quite early on in those 12 years. So, um... If someone comes to see you and um, uh, they're wanting meditation or they're wanting some guidance, well, I guess my first question would be when people come to see you, are they, are they new to meditation? Are they trying to figure out what, how to meditate or are they practicing meditators who want more? Is it a little bit of everything? It's a little bit of everything, but I think, on the whole, most people who contact me are people who try meditation, find it quite difficult to do on their own, haven't quite worked out what they want to get out of it. Um, and they want somebody to literally guide them and support them in that. Um, it's very much about... Um, yeah, encouraging and supporting people and helping them to find through that their own way, some form of meditation that's going to work for them when we're not working together anymore so that they're not sort of, you know, it's, it's, a, it's sometimes a way of triggering the, their own meditation practice. So it's a bit of everything, but I think mostly people who want to start off or to strengthen their existing practice. Right. 
So, I mean, I, I'm always looking for ways to strengthen my practice. So I would be a, a, a good client for you. Um, <clears throat> so what, if someone is listening to this podcast and they don't really know what, you know, that much about meditation, or maybe they have some old fashioned myth, mythological kinds of ideas about meditation. I, I grew up in a very evangelical Christian background and am a preacher's kid. And um, I don't know, I don't know if you have those types in Scotland, in Scotland but uh, here I grew up believe, being taught that meditation was wrong, that it's not something you should do, that it's, it's a, a, a way to open up the spirit world and maybe open yourself up to evil spirits. And of course, I don't believe that anymore, of course, but, but I mean, I was brainwashed to believe that and yeah, got, I don't know, something going on around my house. Sorry about the sirens, but can't do anything about that. Um, and, uh, you know, it took me a long time to kind of unravel that, brainwashing about other philosophies and other things. And of course, you know, that's a, that's another whole podcast in and of its own. I won't bore you with it, but for people who are thinking that maybe that's some sort of <clears throat> betrayal to their Christian beliefs, their evangelical beliefs, what, what would you say to them about meditation? Um. <clears throat> That's, well, it's a very big question, but I respect everybody's beliefs. I would simply point out that Christianity has a long and honourable tradition of its own forms of meditation and contemplation. Um, and if you wish to, and if it really speaks to you and is your thing, then to use a Christian imagery for meditation and contemplation is, is your thing. You know, if that's your thing, then that would be a wonderful thing to do. Um, I see no contradiction in meditating on Christian imagery or symbols. And I think, you know, I'm, I'm, obviously brought up as a Christian. I still belong, in fact, to the Church of Scotland, although I'm not a terribly good member, but um, I am deeply moved when I attend the Christian service because there's, there is beauty, healing, and in prayer, we find contemplation and meditation. Right. So now, these things Scotland is Presbyterian. Yes, am I wrong about true. that? Okay, yeah. Yeah, and we, we, I don't think most Americans realize that the Presbyterian Church is the Scot Scottish tradition of Protestantism. Uh, I, don't, oh, right. I, don't, I don't think most Americans know that. And it was started by John Knox, am I right? Well, in Scotland, yes. John Knox was the man. Okay, yes. All right, well, good. My early church class well just paid off. What do you know? <laughs> Very good. <laughs> yes, John Knox. <laughs> um, uh, so, yeah, Presbyterianism. And, you know, I it's a, such a big question, Denise. I'm not really sure how, how I can fully answer your question. Okay, but fair enough. Say that, you know, there, there are points in every Christian service, I think, where 
we we are invited into some form of contemplation. Um, my meditation draws much more on nature imagery, and I try not to draw, I, I don't try, but it doesn't particularly draw on um, symbolism associated with any particular religion at all. Um, because I find that nature, natural landscapes are very uh, important to me and to be in contact with nature, I find very healing and uh, joyful actually. So I try not in my own work to associate, be associated with any particular brand of religion. Some forms of meditation, of course, are closely associated with um, Buddhism, particularly we think of. Uh, but you can be, um, I believe that I'm not uh, advocating this, but I believe that you can be a Christian Buddhist. I understand that this is entirely possible because Buddhism is not particularly a religion. It's a set of beliefs, yep. but it's quite practice Tibetan Buddhism or whatever form of Buddhism and be a Christian. Um, uh, or follow Buddhist meditation and be a Christian. Yeah, it's so certainly I don't what I practice. Yeah, yeah. I mean, these things are not mutually exclusive. Um, and yeah, and that's the, the best answer I can give you to that at the moment, I would say, I think. That, that's fine. And and more than fair. I did kind of spring that on you, but I... <laughs> I, I, I didn't know if maybe, you know, you'd had conversations with folks in, around that. So sometimes what I, what I tell people about meditation, and maybe you don't agree with this, maybe you do, but that um, if you do visualization meditations, that sometimes it's almost like when you are in a really relaxed state and you begin to daydream, Mm -hmm. And you have this daydream that uh, of, of something that may or may not happen, that it's kind of maybe a, a fantasy or, or maybe just some sort of your creative mind is working and you're, and you're in some sort of a daydream and, you know, you feel really relaxed in that, that, that sometimes meditation can be simply something, something like that, where you're you're actively creating a scene and using your own creative mind to put you somewhere else other than the present. Is that, is that a fair um, analogy to what you do, Jane? I think that's quite a good description, really. I mean, I actually often refer to the work I do for myself when I'm first sitting to meditate and write these down. Um, as being a kind of waking dream. Um, what happens for me when I sit down to meditate? And I have to say, I do this with pen and paper. So it's a, a curious process, but and it's not journaling, I don't think, because I think that's a slightly different practice. I will sit down with pen and paper, um, ready myself to do this. Um, and it seems as though a meditation or a waking dream is unfolding before me. So I'm not consciously um, working it out. I'm not, it's not a conscious process of creation or it's not like writing a story. It's not like journaling where I'm asking particularly for answers or an outcome. 
it's something that just unfolds in front of me. It seems to have its own life, really. And as I write it down, I'm simply recording it. Over 30 years of doing this, of course, what's happened is that I have discovered, if you like, or created, if you prefer, a sacred landscape. And in that landscape, there are set areas that I can go now to visit or take other people to visit in the meditations. So there's a clearing in a great forest. There's um, a little stream in that forest, which we Scots call a burn, not a stream. <laughs> there's a burn. There's um, a stone circle where we go. Um, there's a further clearing in the forest where we're taken, where we're led to for other, uh, uh, there's a pool in this forest. It's very much about, when I first was visiting this place, it was like exploring it. And I was, it was like an explorer finding land that was unmapped and uncharted. And now I've sort of ma mapped it and now I can take other people there. Well, I, I'm hoping that we can do, get a taste of what that's like today. And, but first I wanna talk about two things, your book mm -hmm. and, um, and your um, Facebook page so that people can find you. Tell us about that. Yes, well, at first I'll tell you a little about my my Facebook page, which is on um, called Amethyst Living. Um, and associated with that, I run a Facebook group called The Secret Meditation Garden. Uh, and in the group, I lead regular live guided meditations. It's a private group, but it is free to join. Uh, and I post other information about meditation, stuff that might be of interest to people, um, and of course, I also offer one-to-one -one coaching to work with me as well. So the book is something that I published um, last year, um, late last year in the autumn, and it's called Six Enchantments. So six short stories, which are based on my, the main meditations that I used. Very short little book, 50 pages. The idea is it's there to help people either start their meditation work or um, simply to read as short stories to give yourself a moment of peace and calm in your busy day. So Six Enchantments is available on Amazon UK, uh, either as an ebook or as paperback. Um, and I think that covers most of that. <laughs> Fantastic. I, I've been, yeah, it's a lot of noise today. I don't know what's happening, but I have a feeling I live pretty close to a highway. And sometimes when there's an accident there, they reroute them by our house. And I have a feeling maybe there's something going on there. But anyway, um, okay, so... That's, that's fantastic. I, I'm going to join your Facebook group today. Right. Thank yeah. you. You're really welcome to. <laughs> and I, I'm going to order your book. 
I um, would love to to have our listeners have some sort of a taste of your sacred landscape. I think that would be yeah. immensely beautiful experience for us. So, in is that is that okay with you? Yes, that, I'd love to do that. Um, to lead people into the sacred landscape, it has to be about. 15 or 20 minutes, 15 minutes. Is that okay? Sure. Yeah, yeah. Whatever, you, whatever you're comfortable with doing, that would be great. Okay, yes, yes. Well, um, I'll, I invite your listeners to join me in that case. Um, this meditation is one of the ones that I use most often when I work with people for the first time. And it's the one that came to me when I first visited this landscape, actually. So it's a good introduction to the landscape itself. So I just invite you listeners to sit and yourself to sit with me um, as we sit in our chair and we sit fairly upright. And um, we want to be upright and alert, but not uncomfortable, and um, not too comfortable so that we don't have a snooze in the middle of it. <laughs> we want somewhere in between the two. So I just invite you to sit with me now as we close our eyes and begin today's meditation. Thank you. So I invite you now to sit with me as we settle into this peaceful time together. We take this moment now, this time that we give ourselves, as a gift. We give ourselves this gift and we receive it with an open and grateful heart. Knowing that We'll find everything we need in this beautiful time that we set aside. As we sit, thoughts may come and go, and we let them enter our mind, we let them drift away. We notice them and they go. As we sit, we may find physical tension falling away from us. And with it, some mental tension also. And all of this simply because we sit with eyes closed, giving ourselves the gift of this time out, this time to sit. So having done that, we find ourselves standing at the edge of a clearing 
at the heart of a great forest. We've walked through the forest to get here, following a path that twists and turns through the trees. And all the time, we wondered where the path was leading us, what we'd see at the end of it. And now here we stand looking around us. All around, the trees are bare of leaves. Bright grass carpets the clearing. And the air here, although it's winter outside, is mild and still. Everything here is peaceful and quiet. At the heart of the clearing, at the heart of the forest, we see a hawthorn tree. Bare of leaves, tall with spreading branches. And we know, as we see this tree in this place, that this is a place we have longed to find for a very long time, and that it has waited for us since long, long before we were born. And now today, at last, at last we've found it. We walk across the grass and over to the hawthorn tree and stand gazing up into its branches, spread over us, sheltering and protecting us. All at once, we know that here we can find our true self. This is the place that has waited for us so that we can find our true self. As we gaze up at the branches of the tree, it begins to shine and to gleam. And all at once, our own heart begins to shine with the warm light that the tree gives off.
and we understand in this moment that we are indeed a being of divine love, joy, compassion, wisdom, and healing. And this is why we've come here today to find this place and to understand this about ourselves. As we understand it, the tree above rustles and quivers, acknowledging our new understanding. We take a few moments to acknowledge within ourselves the new things that we understand about our heart. That we are a loving, joyful, compassionate, wise, healing and healed being. We know now that this awareness will live within us and within our heart. Now that it's awakened and acknowledged. And the longing we had to know our true self has been answered. Gazing up once more at the hawthorn tree, we thank it for everything it has shown us and given us. The tree rustles in answer. We know that we can come back to this place at any time and we'll find it waiting here for us. But for today, with thanks and joy in our heart, we walk away back across the clearing, back to the path by which we came. And there we turn and stand and take a last look around the clearing seeing the tree, the grass around it, and all the trees of the forest around that. We know that we can come back at any time. And we have thanks and gratitude in our heart 
for our visit today. And so, having done that, we become aware once again of the place where we're sitting, becoming aware of our feet resting on the floor, our weight as we sit in our chair, becoming aware of the temperature in the air around us, becoming aware of any sounds or noises around us, whether near at hand or far away. And all the time now, we're coming back to a full awareness of the place where we're sitting today and our everyday surroundings. And when we're ready, taking our own time to do so, we return completely to the place where we're sitting today by slowly and gently opening our eyes and coming back completely to our everyday surroundings. That was beautiful, Jane. I was worried about myself because I had a lot of coffee before we, <laughs> I don't think my eyes shut, but I was, I was, I was, I was right there with you. I was in that forest and I, yeah, I, I, I love that. That's, that is my favorite form of meditation really is to be kind of projected somewhere else, somewhere mm -hmm. that, you know, I'm not, there are things about that that feel familiar, you know, and so I can easily, I can easily put myself in a forest. I grew up camping, so I can easily put myself in a forest and I can easily put myself in a beautiful green uh, field. Now, I don't know what a hawthorn tree is. Yes, never mind. Imagine <laughs> a great big oak because that's what we have here more often than not. So um, I, I was able to definitely able to go there with you. And for those of you who are listening, who was like, well, I mean, I could get there, but I, you know, I still had thoughts. It's okay. Because I had yeah. thoughts too. I, I mean, I just let them, I didn't judge them or, 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 or be mad at myself. I just kind of went, Oh yeah, that's a thought. And, and then I, I just tried to put myself right back in my, in the present place that I was mentally in my imagination. And, um, it's a beautiful form of meditation and so relaxing and, and um, the benefits for me are that I can get out of a really stressful place if I'm stressed, you know, and, and especially after I've practiced meditation for a bit, I kind of know how I should feel in my body and I just kind of go right into my, into my inner body and I can relax that takes practice though. And it's a skill, you know, like anything else, it's a skill. It doesn't happen overnight, but I, I can get into my, into my deeper part of my body, sort of relax myself, feel sort of loose, and then go to a place that someone I trust is taking me. And uh, I, I, you know, can come out of that and feel totally un unwound and unstressed and uh, able to 
move on with whatever it is I need to complete the task. And it really makes me feel invigorated and, and re-energized yeah. in many ways. Yes. Yes. I mean, I, I, it's great to hear what you're saying about that. I, I agree with all of that, actually, Denise. And I think, um, um, I think one thing you said about it's being a practice, the more you practice this, the more you become, you find it easier to get into it and to recognize that state of kind of alert relaxation when you're there. And I think there must be something about that that we really need as human beings, or somehow human beings, I think, must need that to be in that state of alert relaxation. Absolutely. Um, and for me also, of course, the imagery itself of nature is, is very important and I find it really almost vital for me to, to be in touch with that. Mm -hmm. So as you say, it's, it's, it's simple. Most people kind of have the idea of what a forest would be like. So you might not know the particular kind of tree, but it doesn't matter. It's whatever is, you know, any tree that you've ever seen can be your tree. So um, my meditations are like that. They're all drawing on fairly straightforward natural, nature, natural imagery so that I think most people can relate to them. I would like to think so. Yeah, so um, I, one of the thoughts that I definitely had while you were uh, uh, talking was that it's so poetic. It's very poetic and, and vibrant in its visualization and, and its description is very detailed. And I thought, I, I bet she is a really good writer. I bet your book is, is, is well, there's a, yes, well, thank you. Um, I, this is the first book I've ever published. Um, but the short stories in it or meditations in it are very much written like that. So it's very much that kind of language. It's kind of poetic prose. I think that's right. Um, because that's the kind of prose, it's not always the kind of prose I like to read, but for that kind of work, I think that's the kind of prose that works. So yeah, my little book of six, the Six Enchantments book um, is, that's how it's written. It's in that style very much. Yeah, beautiful. Very beautiful. Well, thank you. I I, I think to, to continue to talk would be I don't know, not, not a good, everybody should be really relaxed and ready to go on with their day. So I, I, I thank you for your time and thank you for leading us in that. And please uh, go to her, um, the Secret Meditation Garden Facebook page. And um, if you'd like to order her book, it's Six Enchantments, as she said, and you can get it on Amazon through ebook or um uh, uh, did you say audio? Uh, paperback. Paperback, paperback. Yes. That too, yeah. I think I might record it as an audiobook, but I haven't got around to that yet. <laughs> so that's another. I love your Scottish brogue. I, I would be like, yeah, I'd geek out over that Scottish brogue. It's beautiful. So. <laughs> Thank, you. Thank you so much, Jane. Thank you very much, Denise, for inviting me on. It's been lovely to talk to you. Thank you so much indeed. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening today, and we hope to see you here in two weeks with a new guest. And as always, peace, love, and courage.